I told Janet, that candle right there feels like an hourglass to me. It's just burning and, you know. So listen, we're in Luke chapter 1 this morning, and we're going to be looking at what is often referred to as the Benedictus. That is Zachariah's song. It's going to begin in verse 67. What we're going to do, though, is we're going to back up, and we're going to begin in verse 57. Now, um, it's important for you to understand a little bit of the context here, okay? Because um, all the, the beginning section here of John chapter 1 has uh, for our Luke chapter 1 um, is really the story of how we get to the Benedictus, all right? Um, this is the story of Zacharias and, and of the Lord meeting with him as he goes into the temple. And so we're going to refer back to some of that, so don't close your Bibles up because you're going to need to kind of follow along. But what we're going to do is begin here in Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 57, and read down through verse 80. So let's read the word of the Lord together. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a written tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praised be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us and in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath He swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. Let's pray. Father, we give you great praise this morning for your word. Lord, we would ask as we come to it and as we look into it that 
our meditations and the words of my lips concerning it would be acceptable in your sight for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Unbelief. Unbelief is really the sad tragedy that comes to us because of the fall of humanity. The other night I went out, just recently we had the supermoon, right? And so everybody is all uh, abuzz about the supermoon, and it was beautiful and, and stellar there in the night sky. But I really prefer the moonless nights, especially out here at the lake. And so the other night I, I was outside just looking up at the stars, taking it in and thinking about how amazing the night sky is, how amazing God is. And the psalmist tells us in Psalm 19 that the heavens are declaring the glory of God, right? Day after day, night after night, he says, they pour forth speech. That's an amazing statement. And what he's saying is the creation screams that God is there. But how is it then that we can go in, uh, go out and look into the night sky and, and somehow walk away not believing? How is it that people do that day after day? How is it that there are so many, even astronomers who study the night sky, see the glory of God, but live in unbelief? As the modern world churns on and, and grows, as, as modernity owns us, as scientific advancements um, tell us that faith is obsolete, we really don't need to believe in God in order to live successfully in this world, faith is still there. God is still there proclaiming that He exists, that He loves us, that He has intervened in this life in which we live. Some of you will remember uh, the American classic, the movie Miracle on 34th Street. I watched it um, in a film class in college. We studied uh, lots of the old films, and so we took a look at that. And, and one of the ideas that comes out of that movie is that... Th- They were attempting to affirm the idea of faith in a modern world in which we had grown cold and cynical to anything other than scientific thought, rigorous scientific thought. And so you have in in the movie, and one author said, reaffirming faith in a modern, often cynical world is what our business is all about as believers. Not a faith in St. Nicholas or Father Christmas, but in the truth of the enchantment and wonder of the Almighty God of the universe who came to mankind as a babe in a manger. So many today don't buy it, or at least they seem unmoved by the reality of Christmas and the way they live their lives. The net effect of a lack of faith in Christ is to turn off the color of life. I love that line, to turn off the color of life, to become like little Susan Walker in Miracle on 34th Street, whose childhood was dour, expressionless, unromantic, and hopeless. Unbelief turns off the color and turns down the sound of life as it was meant to be lived. But faith in Christ 
and faith in the God who changes things, who interrupts our lives, the glorious news of salvation by repentance and faith in Jesus turns on the sound, lights up the soul. And as we see in the song that we just read, it causes mute men to shout for joy, to sing for joy even. Just ask Zechariah. So this morning as we come to the passage, we are looking at Zechariah's song. We are looking at Zechariah coming to faith. In, in essence, he's believing God at this very point in his lives. And so we're going to talk about a song of faith. And the first thing I want you to notice is that it's foreign to our hearts. That's what the first part of the story is about. So if you turn back over to uh, the first part of chapter 1, what you'll see there is that Zechariah's job was to work in the temple. He was a priest. And so Zechariah's job is working in the temple, and it says that the lot fell on him, and it was his job to go and to offer the uh, incense offering. Now, essentially he drew the short straw, okay? To go in and to offer the incense offering, put him in the holy place. The, and the, and the place that was being, where the incense was offered is right up against the veil of the most holy place. Okay? So there is Zechariah. He goes in. He's going to make the offering, the incense offering. And what we read is, while he's in there, he meets the angel Gabriel. Now what's interesting is that the people are outside and what we, what we read about them is that they were beginning to get a little restless. They were wondering what was taking Zechariah so long to offer, to make the offering. Now I think this is really interesting because as they were wondering what was going on, really what they were thinking was something has happened. He, he, something's gone awry in there. Now, we know, right, from, from reading in the Old Testament that that going in and being right there in that area, meeting with God was, was particularly dangerous duty. And here is Zechariah. And he's in there just a little bit too long, and the people are stirred up, and they're wondering, what has happened? Now, it sort of begs the question, because they knew that there was no one else in there. They knew it was just Zechariah and God. And so the most logical thing would be, he's had an encounter with God which they would have thought probably wouldn't have gone in his favor. And that's why they're concerned. Did he die? Is he out? Is, is you know, what's taking place in there? And so they're worried that Zacharias had an encounter with God. And he did. As he made his incense offering, there the angel Gabriel came, a messenger from God, appeared to him, and gave him a promise. And the promise is this, that he and his wife Elizabeth are going 
to have a son. And that his son would go before the Lord. That his son would be the one that would announce the way of the Lord. He would make the way clear for the Lord who was coming. In short, John was going to announce the fulfillment of the covenant promises of God. Now, Zechariah knew the covenant promises of God, all right? This is really the the most interesting part of this. Who is Zechariah? He's a priest. He serves before the Lord. He, He goes into the holy place. He knows the word of the Lord. He knows all of the covenant promises. He knows everything that is supposed to happen. His heart, I mean, he knowledge-wise, he gets it. I mean, he would have made a great Presbyterian, right? I mean, he had all of the doctrine there in his head. But there was a connection missing because when the angel announces this, now think about it, right? He knows about Abraham and Sarah. He, he knows about God opening the Sarah's womb so that she could have a son. He knows about all the difficulties of the patriarchs. He gets all of that. He's heard those stories forever. And yet here he is hearing directly from the angel of God. I mean, he's in the holy place. Gabriel appears to him, gives him this message. And yet, what do we read? He doesn't believe. Zechariah didn't believe what the angel was telling him. And that's why the angel silences him and tells him that he's not going to be able to speak until the fulfillment of these things. Now think about that. Essentially, essentially, Zechariah is just going through the motions. I mean, he's in there. He's offering incense. The people are outside. They're praying. They're, they are, in a sense, uh, almost in as much disbelief because they're, they're concerned. They're worried that something has happened to Zechariah in there. The only thing that would have happened in there to him is that he would have met God and that somehow God was going to visit him in there. Wouldn't that have been a good thing? You would think, right, if he emerges from there, that good things have happened. He comes out, he's mute, they know, oh man, he has had an encounter with God. And he did. He heard heard that the promises of God were going to be fulfilled. The very thing he would have been longing for and waiting for. And even more amazing was, And perhaps the thing that he had the greatest trouble believing was that he would be a part of what God was doing. That is where Zechariah's unbelief emerges. Zechariah, I'm going to give you a son, and your son is going to announce the way of the Lord. And Zechariah says, how can it be? I'm far too old. Certainly, Certainly, you can't do this. He knows that God is a God of miracles. He knows that God has done amazing things in times past, and yet 
Here he is, unable to believe that God is going to use him, that God is going to bless him the way that he says. That's where we get the idea that faith is really very foreign to our hearts, isn't it? That here is a man who knew the word, who understood all of these things, and yet at the moment when God is revealing himself, I mean, how many of you have just asked yourself sometimes, God, if you would, if you would just give me a sign. Have you ever teased that out just a little? I mean, I need something, God. I, I just need... I believe you're there. I know you're there. I'm going to cry out to you. Can you just give me something? Yeah. You've probably asked him for just a little nudge. Zechariah is getting more than a little nudge. And guess what? He doesn't believe. And he doesn't believe because our hearts are really that hard. Faith is really that difficult for us to muster. It is really hard for us to believe that if we open our mouths, He will use us. If we love our neighbors, He will bless us. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that He can use, as the Apostle Paul says, clay pots for His purposes. And yet, That's what he's done throughout all history. It should be no shock and no surprise to us. And and we should be able to muster that faith. But our hearts really are that hard, really are that difficult. And so are you asking the Lord to increase your faith? Are you asking him to strengthen your faith, to bolster you because, because you're weak? That should be our prayer as we look at Zechariah and we realize that A song of faith like the one he sings is really so very foreign to our lives, just as it was his. So here's the story then. He hears the promise. He hears what God is saying. He doesn't believe it. So the angel makes him mute and says, all right, you're not going to speak until all of these things are fulfilled. So that's what I want you to see is the second thing here, right? A song of faith is full of grace. Now, this actually begins in verse 59 in the prelude. And what is happening, the prelude to his song. So what's happening is we've gone all the way through the pregnancy. Elizabeth has given birth. The time has come for the child to be circumcised. It's the eighth day. And they're there. Everybody's there. This is a big event. And they are prepared to circumcise John. And just as we do when, when we baptize our children, I often say, what is, the, what is the given name of the child? And the parents say the name, and so they're ready, and what's, what's this child's name? And Elizabeth says, John. <sighs> John? What do they say? There's no John in our family. What are you doing? It can't be John, and, and they're, you know, you know John, I don't know John, I, I, there's no John in the family. Is, you just didn't do that. His name should have been Zachariah Jr. But it wasn't. It was John. And the people are in shock and disbelief. In fact, it's so much so that what do they do? 
Well, they look to Zechariah, but he can't say anything. And so he says, and so they get him a yellow pad and, and a pen, and they ask him, write it out. Tell us. And what does he do? His name is John. Bam! He goes from mute to fantastic preacher. I mean, he preaches the greatest sermon he's ever preached, for sure. Zero to sixty. Bam! His heart is open. Now, what what is taking place? What is happening here? Is that Zechariah believed. He believed what God had told him. He, When he writes that down, what he is saying is, I heard you, God. Now, to be sure, Elizabeth, was, she becomes pregnant. She gives birth to a son. I mean, some things have happened. There's a little bit of at least nine months of water under the bridge at this point for him to get it. But he's got to take that next step. And what is the next step for him? It is believing that John is going to be the one that prepares the way for the Lord. He has to embrace that. I mean, God has blessed him and God has given him this. And so there he's, you know, he's burst, but he has the opportunity now. What do you believe? Zechariah, what do you believe? I believe that John is who God says he is. He is the forerunner of Christ. His name is John. And when he put that down in black and white ink on that paper or whatever he used, he meant it. And he came alive. His heart was opened. His tongue was loosed. And what did he do? He immediately began praising God. He believed a gracious gift of God was given to him. Listen, I want you to hear this. Anytime, anytime anyone believes, it's a gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Anytime anyone believes, it is a gift. When Jesus was standing there with Peter and he said, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the son of God. What did Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon Peter, because God revealed that to you. It didn't come from you. It came from him. And Paul tells us in, in Ephesians chapter 2 that faith, grace and faith are both gifts of God. And our salvation is not by works so that no man would boast, but from him. Anytime someone believes it is a gracious gift of God, And here in Zechariah's life, as he expresses this belief, it is a gracious gift of God. He believed God. He expressed his faith by being obedient to God, by naming his son John. And when he did that, he indicated that he believed everything that God had said about what was going to go on in John's life. Isn't that amazing? I mean, think about that. Think about what a simple act that was for Zechariah to write down, his name is John. It's so simple, isn't it? But it was an act of faith. An act of faith from a man who was currently at that moment under the judgment of God. He couldn't speak. 
And then he just pours forth. It just comes out in his life. Now, still under this point, I want you to look at the first half of the song. Because that's what we're saying, right? That this song is a song full of grace. And the first half of the song drives that home with force. Now, think about, think about this. What is it that's taking place in Zachariah's life? He, he is given birth to a son. In that day, in that age, to have children was the ultimate sign of God's blessing on you. So to have a family was a big deal. And they didn't have a family. So here is this moment in which John is now born. Things are happening. But what, but what is it that Zechariah sings about? Well, the first half of his song doesn't have anything to do with John. It has everything to do with praising God for what he is about to do in another child that's going to be born. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. And he said through his, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the land of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors, to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's the first half of a song. That is, that's just what comes bubbling out of him. And when you read the words of the song, you realize he's announcing the undeserved favor of God upon us. He will save us. And then the second half of the song is kind of an, an, oh, by the way, you little Johnny, you get to be a part of that. You get to be uh, the one who heralds the arrival of the Savior. Verse 76, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Now, after a long, we, we finished Genesis last week. So after a long stint in Genesis, I hope you see that Zechariah understood the magnitude of the promise made to Abraham way back then. He understood the implications of the one that was coming into the world and how he was a fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, all those many years ago. When all of that comes together, when he realizes it, he just bursts into song. He begins to sing. When the light of faith came in on Zacharias, he saw what God was doing, and he sang of God's praise. When the light of faith shines in the heart of a man or a woman, watch out. Imagine a world without the art of those who had faith. Gone would be amazing frescoes, walls of amazing art, chapel ceilings covered the story of salvation. Gone would be the amazing statues of faith. 
Raphael, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci. Think of all the amazing composers. Think of the great masterpieces. Haydn, Handel, Bach, Mendelssohn. All of them, men of faith. Some of the greatest architects. Some of the most incredible science. Gone were it not for faith enlivening their hearts. When someone comes to faith, things happen. In Zachariah's case, he pins the most beautiful hymn. He bursts into song. You think, oh, song, big deal. (laughs) Remember what Luther said. Luther said, next to the Word of God, Music is the greatest treasure in the world. The church has always, 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 always sung. The people of God have always been singing. Where else do you go, besides Billy Joel concert, where else do you go and stand with people and sing? Not many places. It just doesn't happen. We come here week after week. You all are a good singing congregation, by the way. And we sing. We come and we stand together and we sing. We let loose. Sometimes my mic is on and my kids are embarrassed. Because I can't sing at all. But I sing. And you sing. Why? Because He's put a new song in your heart. Because when you understand grace, when faith comes and opens you up, guess what? Things just begin to happen. You know, some of you, some of you don't sing. When we come and we gather, pastorally, We want to be a singing congregation. Sometimes I wonder, what's going on that you you don't sing? Occasionally I see, you know, and, and it's not every Sunday, but it's just some Sundays. What is it? Because I love to sing the praise of God. And that's what we do. And and all through the word, people are bursting forth in song. And and when we get to the birth of Christ, everybody's singing. The angels are singing. Uh, Zachariah's singing. Mary's singing. They're singing all the way through. Singing is a barometer, if you will, of the soul, of what's going on down inside you. You know why? Because when faith sets you free, you don't give a rip about what people are thinking about you. It doesn't make any difference if you leave my mic on or not. I'm going to sing. There's a play coming up. This is a this is a foreshadowing, and um, and John Copeland asked me to be in it. Smoke on the Mountain too, and so I said yes. It's in May, and he said they're singing, and my kids burst into laughter. <laughs> you on a stage singing. I just hope he can work miracles. Yes, me singing, you singing. Why? Because faith has come to our lives. 
Amazing things happen when faith enlivens us. A song of faith. Finally, a song of faith is foundational to our lives. It's our final point. And here's what I mean by this. Foundational to our lives. There's a macro, there's a big picture going on in this song, and there's a micro, there's a little picture going on in this song. All right? Here's the big picture. The big picture, the macro picture in the song, is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Are you with me? He is fulfilling the covenant. That's why Zechariah is singing. That, frankly, is what has just given him goosebumps and caused him to let loose. The micro is, guess what? It affects you and I. Jesus is coming into the world. That's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Jesus coming into the world, what does he do? Well, he says at the very end of that top portion of the song that he's going to set us free from our enemies. The clutches of those who who have their hands on us. We're going to be free from them. And we'll be able to live. And we'll, and we'll be able to go out and 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 expose people to the peace of God. Look at look at the way that he says this. Right? He says that um, he has come to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to what? Enable us, verse 74, to serve him. And here's the interesting part. Without Fear. Now, you're not in the clutches of enemies. No one is hunting you down to put you in prison. So what could that micro possibly be for you? Ah, guess what? One of the greatest struggles that most Christians have, that most of us in general have, is what uh, Christian literature refers to as the fear of man. It's a great little book, um, When People Are Big and God is Small. Wonderful book that deals totally with this idea, the fear of man that grips our hearts and drives us to do things we wouldn't ordinarily do. Children in high school, our, our students, they live with the fear of man. What do we call it? Peer pressure. Right? But guess what? It doesn't end at 18, does it? It goes all the way. It's with you all the days of your life. But what does he say? He says that Jesus coming into the world frees you from oppression, from the clutches of those who would hunt you down, and allows you to serve him without what? Fear. That's the micro. The micro is, if God is for you, who can be against you? The micro is that you and I can live without fear. And everything that we, can, that, that we do, we can go out and live. We can sing our song of faith for God's glory and for our good and not worry a whit about the world's view of us and what they think. And it's only that faith, Zachariah's faith, working in our hearts that gives us the freedom to go and to live and to do and to be. The fear of man will drive you to do all kinds of things. Conform your life into a a myriad of ways that are not helpful to you nor the kingdom. But Jesus came to set you free. 
from that fear and to give you a song to sing. Let's pray. Father, we want to praise you and thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the word that comes to us this morning that enlivens our hearts, reminds us that you are there, you're still at work. Father, that you are the God of faith. You have given to us a great faith to believe and to trust the work of the Lord Jesus. We thank you. We praise you. Give us more of it for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.